All right, guys, this morning we are continuing our sermon series called Invitation to More. And uh, this morning we're going to be going over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, we've been in Romans 12, 1 and 2 for the last five weeks. I decided to mix it up. We're going over to Romans chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 967. 967. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that one. We would love for that to be our gift to you to help you to continue to read and study the Word over the course of the week. Um, If you have one of our booklets, we're going to be going over to the page called The Growth Zone, The Growth Zone in the booklet. If you don't have a booklet and you would like one to take notes, please raise your hand and we'll get you one. We had some more printed up. Uh, We ran out last week, but we do have some more. So just boldly raise your hand. No one's going to look down on you. We will put a booklet in that hand so you can take notes. You don't have to have a booklet. Uh, You can take notes on your bulletin, or you can completely ignore me. This is a free country, and so you can choose any of those options that fit you best. Um, But if you want, if you're a guest this morning and you haven't caught the previous messages in the series and you would like to get caught up, they are all posted on our website on Trailhead Online. You can go back and listen to the previous messages. This series specifically has been designed to build one week on the other, and so um, if, if something grabs you and you're like, man, I'd like to... To, to listen to those previous weeks, they, they are available. All right, we're going over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read these out loud. You can follow along, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they, have, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys, we have spent the last five weeks unpacking this simple model that we call the three G's, right? That, that, is, that is this model of grace leading into, uh, not that one. Are we on? Uh, not that, okay. Uh, the simple model of grace leading to gratitude, leading to growth. Lori, you want to? Sorry. This happened last time, too. This is, uh, as I was explaining last time when this happened, back in the old day, we used to have these things called overhead projectors. Like, back in the day when I was a teacher, it was a box that produced light. It was pretty fascinating, and it pushed the light up into this other little box that pushed an image up onto a screen, and, and I had this little little crank that would pull this invisible paper across, and I could use a wax pencil to write on it. It was fascinating and way more reliable. Than, than what we are doing now, because this is just a glorified overhead projector. Um, all right, so we've been unpacking this model of the three G's, right? And the three G's are very simple, grace, gratitude, growth, right? We have this encounter with grace. Grace breaks into our lives, and, and we experience the grace of God, which is really just love. And grace comes to us through the work of Christ, because on the cross, God's justice meets God's mercy, Right now, remember, mercy is when we don't receive what we deserve. Well, Christ received it on our behalf. 
He was our substitute. He was our hero. So justice, God's justice was satisfied in Christ, right? So justice meant mercy, and that flows out to us as grace. Grace is when we receive what we could never earn. When we're given what we could never claim on our own, God gives to us the very righteousness of Christ. He covers us with, with all the goodness of Christ, and then with Him gives us all things. That's, that is grace, right? Because God's justice is met by God's mercy. And, and so when we receive that grace, we are called to trust it, right? To, to have faith. God gives it to us as a gift and then says you will receive it by faith. Faith is trusting it. So we trust God's salvation project instead of our own. We trust God's way of fixing our problems instead of our own. We, we trust that, that God's way of, of, of making me right is better than my own. So I have faith and I receive the grace, thank you, that is given to me. All right, that's the model. Or not. All right. I'm going to hand this back to you. Um, oh, 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 all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Got to trust the invisible wires of Wi-Fi. They're very slow today. All right, um, yeah, where was I? Grace comes to us. Oh, yeah, we receive grace, right? God's grace breaks into our lives. We have this experience of being loved when we don't deserve to be loved. And that, that produces kind of this compound effect, right? There's humility in the gift, because when we receive a gift of that magnitude, man, it humbles us. We're like, holy cow, I didn't deserve that, right? And then we take joy in the giver, because, because that gift is an expression of love. And anytime we receive love, it awakens joy within our heart. And the language of humility and joy is gratitude, right? That's what flows out of that experience, is just this, this, this voice of gratitude. And so God breaks in with grace. We receive it by faith. It awakens within us this gratitude. And that gratitude always creates energy. Gratitude is never just a passive experience. It creates an energy that pushes us out into growth. Right? And growth is what happens when we move into that space of discomfort and we choose to stay in it because we're submitting to God. Discomfort plus submission equals growth, right? So, so what ends up happening is, is we push into areas of discomfort, right? We, we choose to obey God when it doesn't feel good, we choose to, to we, we exercise our will, it's an authoritative exercising of our power to align our choices with a cause and a purpose greater than our own, right? That's submission. So we choose to exercise our authority to submit our will. Uh, and, and in doing that, we stay in areas of discomfort. And, and when we do that, it creates growth in our lives. And that growth, and in fact, the whole process of pushing into that discomfort pushes us back into grace, because we need grace to stay in the discomfort. We need God to encourage us and strengthen us and walk with us when we're walking through those areas of discomfort, which renews our experience of grace, which awakens again a more profound experience of gratitude, which pushes us back out into growth. This is the dynamic process of how the gospel changes us, right? Christianity is not simply about rearranging the moral furniture of your life. It is not simply about going to church and doing the right things. In fact, has, those are all like secondary things. The primary power of the gospel is experiencing grace. This will transform your heart, not just rearrange your behavior. This will change who you are, not just lead you into a more productive and moral life. This is the dynamic, the dynamic power of the gospel, right? 
grace, leading to gratitude, leading to growth, pushing us back into grace. And you're like, Steve, I know. Man, you've been saying this for the last five weeks, right? I've heard this a lot. I know. That's on purpose, right? As soon as I get tired of saying something, you're just starting to hear it. That's, that's what they tell me, at least. And so I, I'm going to keep repeating it because, because this model, man, it's not intuitive. This isn't where we normally run with our Christianity. We normally run with our Christianity into, man, I need to work harder and do better and perform better and know more. And, 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 and the reality is we need to learn to be loved. We need to learn to be loved because it's in being loved that we are changed. It is in being humbled at the gift and taking joy in the giver that we're awakened to gratitude that pushes us into this uh, profound experience of growth. This model is called the three G's. And it is the ongoing experience of the Christian life. This, this process never stops, right? That's why we never get past the gospel. The gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life, and then you get down to the hard work of learning and doing. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is, it is experiencing and re-experiencing and re-experiencing the dynamic power of being loved by an infinite God that changes us and frees us. Now, last week when we unpacked this, I gave you a couple charts uh, to help you understand this, a visual way to help you see what's going on. I'm going to give you one more um, this morning uh, as a way to help us see how when we push in to the discomfort, we are in fact growing. So simple chart. This, this area down here represents your comfort zone, right? So in this space down here, that's where we spend most of our time. Uh, and, and that goes without, I don't need to explain that. You know that, right? Because when you're uncomfortable, what do you do? You change things so that you can become comfortable. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's not a hard line. Generally, it looks more like this. You know, it's like, uh, no, no, no. I, I would much prefer to spend my time below that line in my comfort zone than above that line in an area of, 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 of being uh, discomforted, of being uncomfortable, right? And so, so what ends up happening is, is, is I tend to adjust my life to make sure that my circumstances, as much as it's within my power, stays in this zone, right? In this, in this area of, of comfort. The challenge with that, though is that this area up here isn't just the area of discomfort. It's the area of growth. For us to grow, we need to move out of our comfort zone. We, we cannot grow as long as we are continually rearranging the circumstances of our lives so that we are never made uncomfortable by following God or the claims of the gospel, or, 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 or by um, what's going on in, in the call of the gospel in my, in my life. We need to push into this discomfort by faith. And as we do that, we grow. So let me show you how that works. So, so let's say I'm kind of learning how to follow God, and, and, and I find that there's a thing where God asks me to do, and, and it's not what I want to do. It's not what I've been doing, right? And so all of a sudden, I have a choice. I'm either going to submit to God, or, or, or I'm going to submit to myself. I'm either going to trust God, or I'm going to trust my own plan. And, 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 and I'm so overwhelmed by grace. Like, I'm just so amazed that this God would love me, that it actually produces gratitude, which actually increases my trust. And I'm like, you know what? This area, I've never trusted God before. I think I'm going to start trusting Him. 
I think I'm going to stop doing this thing that the Bible says is sinful. Or I think I'm going to start doing this thing that the Bible says I should be doing. And it's really uncomfortable in the beginning. The reason you didn't do it was because it was uncomfortable, right? But suddenly now you got, like, I trust God. And so you end up staying in the zone of discomfort. And, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm, I'm going to obey, right? Or, or, or I'm going to walk away from this area of righteousness that, that, that I so love, right? We talked about this last week, that we have these, these righteousnesses that we build up. The, the thing that we like to slide across the table, it's our resume. It's the first thing we like people to know about us. It's what makes us important. It's what makes us significant, right? And the problem with those things is that those little glories compete with God's glory. Those little boasts actually block us from experiencing the fullness of the gospel. So God will tear those things down, because they're, they're illusions, right? And so maybe God's calling us to not slide our resume across the table. Maybe God's calling us to go ignored when we hate being ignored. Maybe God's calling us to, to, to live in an era, at a time where, where, where our gifts aren't recognized. And we're like, no, 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 I got, no, no, no. It's like, so maybe God's calling us to sit in a period of, of difficult emotional struggle, pain. Because things go bad, things happen wrong, and, and instead of running to our distractions or running to things that would numb us, he's calling us instead to wait on the Lord. One of the most difficult things God ever asks us to do, to sit in the discomfort and simply be honest with our emotions and honest with the pain. And instead of running to numbing or running to escape, actually just sitting in the discomfort, right? So what ends up happening is when we by faith do those things, we sit up here. Right? And, then, and then God leads us to another experience, and then another, and, and sometimes we're, you know, and then, and then. But what's happening is this. This is not us performing better and better for God. This is us becoming more and more comfortable with God's work in our lives. It's about us learning to submit. Let's give it a minute. Magic internet. Let's see if it catches up. So what ends up happening is, is, is that line right there that's really short got longer, and it went up and to the right. <laughs> and, and, and that straight line that's kind of the mean average, it, it, it goes up, right? It goes up. And, and so what ends up happening, you guys, you can't see this, ha-ha. Um, oh, there it is. Is this. You see that comfort zone down there? Those lines are the boundaries of your joy. When you get pushed out of your comfort zone, you don't have joy anymore. And so as long as you are protecting your comfort zone and, and it's not growing, as long as you are pulling back from any level of discomfort, you are in fact limiting the amount of joy you can experience in your life. There, you, there's way more in Christ than you're experiencing. You've been given all things in Christ, but you're only experiencing a very small amount of what you've been given. And what ends up happening is, is there it is, as we push into these areas of discomfort, it increases our comfort zone. In other words, things that used to be really, really hard for us, they're not as hard. Like, I, I, you know, there's no way I could ever do that. And then as you grow, all of a sudden you're like, I could, I'm doing that. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's not crushing me. It's not, and I'm, in fact, I'm okay. So what ends up happening is, is as you grow, you're actually pushing out the boundaries of your experience of joy. You're increasing your capacity for joy. You, do you get that? There's more joy in life than you're currently experiencing. There's more life, more freedom, more power in Christ than you're currently experiencing. The way you grow into what you already have 
is you need to grow in your capacity to experience what you've been given. And the way we grow in that capacity is by learning to submit in areas of discomfort, right? And so that increases our joy. So last week we focused on obedience as a critical way that we push into the discomfort, right? And it is critical, right? Because obedience or submission really is an expression of trust. And, and isn't that what the heart of this whole thing is about? We began by not trusting God and the call of the gospel is once again to trust him right? To trust that he is good and that his intentions are, are, are for our life. And so as we learn to trust and obey, we grow, right? But there's another way that, that we can grow this line. And in fact, I would call it a critical way we grow this line, and that is through generosity. So last week we looked at obedience. This week I want to talk about generosity. In fact, that brings us to our text. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, um, and he is basically coaching them into how to grow in generosity. He's taking up an offering uh, for poor saints in Jerusalem. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's coming to all of these churches he's planted, and he's basically coming and saying, you have this incredible opportunity to give money, <laughs> right? And, and, and it's going to be good for you, right? Because he knows that, that, that they will experience more grace by pushing into the discomfort of giving away money. That, that they will experience more grace by growing in generosity. And as they grow in generosity, they'll grow in their experience of grace. Now, this is, this is a radical thing Paul is doing during this period of time, right? Today, we, we kind of do this stuff all the time. Uh, in fact, right now, honestly, uh, my, my social media feed is filled with more GoFundMes than I know how to respond to. And I want to respond to them all because, because there are so many things going on and so many people in need. And, and, and I'm like, man, I, just, I want to encourage to be part of each one of these things. That's not the way that this... Paul's world was, right? So when Paul is taking up an offering for, for poor saints in Jerusalem, you need to realize he's doing something incredibly countercultural, right? He's asking them to give money to people they've never met in a place they've probably never been, all the way across the, the sea, right? To this, this faraway place called Jerusalem. He wants them to give to a people group that don't look like them, right? During this period of time, diversity was not valued, right? People didn't have a value of diversity. You hung out with people that looked like you, dressed like you, had the same language as you, came from the cultural background as you. That's where you found your security. The world was very tribal in that sense, and, and, and most of the world still is, right? And uh, we would argue that even America still is in its own way, right? And so asking them to give across geographical lines, racial lines, cultural lines, this was a radical ask. He was asking them to do something that was not intuitive, not culturally acceptable, but he was asking because he knew it was going to be in their best interest. Because as they grew in the grace of giving, he knew they would grow in the joy of grace. As they grew in the grace of giving, he knew they would grow in the joy of grace. So he gives the Corinthians an example. He's like, look, 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 I want to give you an example. And he gives the example of the Macedonians, right? This group of people who gave. And when he does it, um, take a look at verse one, you guys. Take a look at verse one. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice he doesn't say, hey, I want you to know about the gift the Macedonians gave. He's not, he's not saying, hey, look how big it was. Make sure yours is bigger, right? Trying to set up competitiveness. He's not saying, look how measly yours is, appealing to shame. 
right? He's not, he's not appealing to guilt and shame. By the way, those are powerful levers to get people to give, but they're non-transformative levers. They're worldly levers. Like, like I could get you this morning to give by, by, by putting up images that appeal to your sympathies and, and by making you feel shame that you have so much more than people who have so little. I could guilt you about how selfish you are. I could do all those things and probably get you to give a little bit, but it would not transform your heart. And Paul's not interested in the gift as much as he is in the transformation. He wants, he loves these people. He wants them not only to give, he wants them to get the benefit of the transformation that comes from giving in grace. And so he says, is, is I want you to know about the grace of God that the Macedonians have experienced. I want you to know, I want you to, I'm not going to talk about their gift, I'm going to talk about the grace of God in the Macedonians because it's doing something incredible. And you should pay attention. Now here's the thing, you guys. Our love and our money are, are intricately connected. We give to what we love, right? We give to what we love. If I want to know what you value, the reality is all I have to do is look at your checkbook. If you were to give me an, uh, a non-filtered look at your checkbook, I could tell you what you valued if, in fact, I could understand Excel spreadsheets. But I could, right? Because what ends up happening is your money just kind of flows very, very easily to the things you love, right? Certain areas you're really, really tight. In other areas you're like, oh, yeah, take more, right? Because, because we give to what we love. So, so what we do with our money shows us our heart. But listen, there's another powerful principle that Paul knew. What we do with our money doesn't just show us our heart, it shapes our heart. What we do with our money shapes the loves of our heart. And what that means is that when we become intentional with generosity, we can, in fact, shape the loves of our heart. We can go to war with our heart with our selfish motives, with the things that would cause us to reduce our joy and rob people of their benefit, we can, through generosity, expand our experience of joy. He knows that, 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 that what we do with our money doesn't just show us our heart, it, it, it shapes our heart. And so Paul is, is coming and, 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 and he's saying, I want, you, I want you to do this, right? I got this crazy story of grace, right? I want you to, to, to understand what, what's going on with the Macedonians. Now, if you guys, uh, about six months ago when we were going through the book of Acts, in Acts 15 and 16, 16 and 17, uh, we were looking at Paul's second missionary journey. And that's when the churches of Macedonia were founded. They are primarily Philippi and, and Thessalonica and Berea. Now, if you remember the story, those churches were, were started with some drama, right? So Paul goes into to Philippi, and, and he shares the gospel, and, and people believe, and a church is begun, and it's not long before people get really angry at him, and he is imprisoned, and he has to flee Philippi. So then he goes to Thessalonica, and when he gets to Thessalonica, he shares the gospel, people become believers, a church is started, and, and, and a mob rises up. Uh, there's this huge mob scene that they come against him. They have to actually sneak Paul out of the city by night. And so he ends up like getting off the beaten path and going down to Berea because he thinks, well, at least I'll be in the backwoods for a while. Nobody will find me down here. But they find him. The mob actually chases him to Berea and brings the mob violence to Berea. And, and, and so the believers, in order to protect Paul, stick him on a ship and sail him down uh, to Corinth just to get him out of there. And, and when in Corinth, he, he ends up sharing the gospel and starting the church that, that this letter is written to, the Corinthians, right? And so um, it, is a, it is a church that was born in persecution. It was a church that was born in affliction. It was a church that was born, as, as those people became believers, they were paying a price for their new faith. 
right? They didn't just become believers because they thought it was going to enrich their life and somehow make them happier. They were becoming believers because they believed Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and when you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you're not going to choose Christianity because somehow it's going to be a self-help seminar. You choose Christianity because Jesus was raised from the dead. If he was raised from the dead, that changes everything, right? So they believe, and, and as a result, man, they pay a price, they pay a price. They, they, they are excluded from their social networks. They, they, are, they are often excluded from their families. Uh, their businesses suffer because their social circle is affected. And in those cultures, your relationships is just as powerful a currency as, as your money. And when, when that currency goes down, your reputation in the community goes down. Fewer people do business with you. And so these guys were paying a, a personal and economic price. In fact, we can see this in um, verse 2. Right In verse 2, it says, For in a severe test of affliction, everything I've just described, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right, in what world does this math make any sense? Abundance of poverty somehow produces an abundance of joy, which leads to an overflowing generosity. Is that how you manage your checkbook? Man, I hope I have abundance of poverty, because then I will have overflowing joy. And with overflowing joy, man, I will just be overflowing with generosity, right? That doesn't make any sense. Let's be honest, right? That is, that is remarkable. People look at that, and they're like, y'all are weird. That, that doesn't add up. You know why? Because that's not the way the world works. Right? We have a worldly math. Now remember, when I use the word worldly, I am talking about the way we do life without God. Worldliness isn't bad behavior you go do out there. Worldliness is your way of trying to find life without the one who gives life. Worldliness is your way of looking at the creation and trying to get from it what only the Creator can give. Worldliness is when you look at your talents, your job, your relationships, your glory, your achievements, whatever it is, and you look to those things and you say to those things, I want you to be for me what only God can be. I want you to do for me what only God can do. Your worldliness is not just the bad things you do, it is the good things you do trying to find life apart from God. Worldly math is really simple. I look at what I have and I think I need a little more. I look at the money I have, I look at the prestige I have, I look at the platform I have, I look at the glory I have, I look at the influence I have, I look at the affection I have, and I think, I just need a little more. And if I could just get a little more, then I'll have enough. And when I have enough, then I'll be content and happy and all the joy will flow in my life. And it's stupid. Because what that does is, first of all, it focuses us not on what we have, but what we don't. It fills our vision, first of all, with, with what we lack. And then we add to that a discontented desire for more, and somehow we think that's going to lead to joy? <laughs> All that leads is, is to more discontent. Because we're trying to meet a need with things that can't meet that need. We're trying to feed an appetite with things that aren't food. We're trying to find life in places that simply can't give us life. What ends up happening is, is, is I need to keep what I have and fight for more. When I am driven by a worldly understanding of life, I have, to, I have to keep what I have, and I have to fight for more. When we are like that, you guys, it stifles our joy. It kills our generosity. And it makes us feel poor. We are some of the most affluent people on the face of the earth. 
in this room right now, when you look at global standards of wealth, we are some of the most affluent people on the face of the earth. And I guarantee most of us don't feel like it. Right? I, I, I don't remember who the journalist was, but somebody got an interview. They were, they were writing a, a, a character piece and, and were looking at the effects of wealth. And they landed an interview with, with the one, somebody who was in the 1%. You guys know the mythical 1%, the, those people, that 1% of people who hold 80% of the world's wealth. Um, they interviewed this family. And it was really interesting because they're like, what do you want people to know about you? And they're like, well, they just need to know we're normal people. That we have struggles like everybody else. That we can't do everything we want to do. We can't have everything we want to have. That, that we struggle like everybody else. And, and they're like, well, how is that? Don't you? And what came out of that was they understood that they had a tremendous amount of affluence and wealth. But there was an underlying discontent. Because they still felt like they needed more. It doesn't matter how much you have. It can never satisfy that desire for more. The average American gives away around 2% of their income. And that stat's not much better in the church. 2%, by the way, is not very generous. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's not even a tip. 2% is not very generous. And yet it feels incredibly generous. You know why? Because we hold onto our wealth with such tight grip that everything we release hurts. Everything we let go gives us pain. And so as a result, we remember everything that hurt, and it feels really generous, right? It feels really generous. That, that you guys, is worldly giving. It's motivated by shame. It builds pride, um, and, and, and ultimately it, it, it leads us into a mentality that entraps us in poverty into this prison that we call our comfort zone that is a prison that doesn't expand our grace, our experience of grace and our joy. You guys, listen. The only thing that makes sense of the Macedonians is grace. It is the only thing that makes sense of the Macedonians. It's the only thing that could make you understand how you can have great poverty and great joy simultaneously. They have great poverty, great affliction. They've been suffering unjustly. They, they have been abused. They have been robbed. And yet they have great joy, so much so that it flows out of them in this crazy generosity. The only thing that explains that is that they've had a deep experience of grace. And in that deep experience of grace, it's awakened in them a profound sense of gratitude. And that profound sense of gratitude has freed them into a, a, a powerful experience of growth which pushes them back into grace. It is the three G's working, right? It, it's so crazy, in fact. When you look at verses 3 through 5, Paul basically has to call them out and be like, you, chill out, guys, right? I get that you're excited. I get you want to be generous, but there are other people that should be giving as well, right? Take a look at verses 3 through 5. For, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, if they're begging earnestly for the favor of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, also to us. He's like, man, you guys, back off. <laughs> it's good that you're so generous, but there are other people that should be generous too, right? Let's leave some room for, for other people. So this is what's going on. Paul's not trying to shame the Corinthians by saying, look how much better. What he's saying is, don't you want what they have? 
don't you want what they have? You've got money. But do you have that? That's the question for us. Don't you, don't you want that? These guys are in poverty financially, but they are rich. They are rich in joy, rich in life, rich in power, rich in contentment. They are rich. In fact, they're so rich that even the people that are bringing the affliction on them cannot take away their riches because their riches aren't based on how much they have. Their riches are based on how much they're loved. And they are so profoundly aware of the love of God that it has freed them from the slavery they've had to the prison of diminishing results and limited means. They're rich in life, in joy, in freedom, in love. Listen, we can grow in this too. We can grow in this too. Generosity flows from an experience of grace, but we can actually increase our experience of grace by moving into generosity. Right? Generosity flows from our experience of grace, but by pushing into generosity intentionally, we can actually increase our experience of grace. We will push ourselves into the growth zone, into the discomfort of submission, using our means to bless others, right? That's one of the clear calls of the gospel is to leverage our privilege for those who are suffering, to give up our rights to honor those who don't, right? You can't read the Bible without that message being loud and clear. God gives favor to the poor and calls on his followers not to see the world as this thing where we keep and get, but to see this world where we have gotten so much that we give, that we honor. All right, you guys, this is the lesson. Now it's time for the lab. All right, so we have a unique opportunity this morning, um, a chance to put this to work, and I'm going to invite you to join me in generosity. Um, We invited Compassion International to partner with us, and we did this intentionally um, because I believe this is a growth opportunity for our church. I believe this is an opportunity for us as the people of God to come together to invest uh, in a way that is going to be transformative to a specific region, but also transformative to us. We've identified about 75 kids in, the, in, in a specific area of Honduras that, that need sponsors. It costs $38 a month to sponsor a child. And I know for many of you, this would require a, a sacrifice, right? For some of you, this means you'd have to give up a date night once a month. And that's a, that's a significant sacrifice. For, for others, it, it might even be a tougher choice. There might be other choices you have to make in order to make this work. Things you're going to have to give up. Things that are luxuries or pleasures or whatever it is to, to make this work. But, but for $38 a month, listen, you can reach across the geographical divide, across the racial divide, across the cultural divide to bless people you've never met in the name of Jesus. Very much like Paul was calling the Corinthians to do in Jerusalem, to to reach across these divides, to leverage our privilege, to leverage what God has given us, to be a blessing in the name of God and the love of God to someone else, to meet a child's physical and educational needs, to help them hear about Jesus. Guys, it's a beautiful picture of, of, 
of, of the opportunity we have. So here's the thing, man. I would, if we did this, I'm, I, I've been praying actively that we, would, that we would sponsor at least 50 kids this weekend. That's a big goal. It's a big goal. We've got 75 available. I would love to sponsor them all. I, I, but I thought, man, just let's pray for 50. So I've been praying that God would lead our community to sponsor 50 kids. We're going to, as a community, be able to invest deeply into a, a specific community in Honduras to, to impact specific kids with the love of Christ and with the, the resources God has given us. Man, I see as man, Lord willing, someday down the road, a group of us even be able to go down there and visit those kids, right? And to bring other specialists into that community, people that can bring their specialized skills as blessing into that community so that, so that Trailhead can, 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 in the love of Christ, impact a community we've never met. But we believe God's leading us to bless. All right, to give you a glimpse of what your sacrifice can mean to a child, I want to invite Cecilia up here. Cecilia um, has been incredibly gracious to join us today to share with us her experiences. To tell you a little bit about her, uh, Cecilia is a geophysicist research assistant at the Center for Earthquake Research and Information at the University of Memphis, where she recently completed her Ph.D. in geophysics. Previously, Cecilia helped pioneer Nairobi's uh, University's um, Physics Student Association, a platform for engaging students in education, research, and careers. She also co-founded the Kenya Women in Physics Association, which addresses the, challenging, or the challenges faced uh, by female physicists in Kenya and encouraging the younger generation of women to pursue science interests. She was born and raised in Kenya, and in addition to all of this, she was a Compassion International child. And so I would love for her to come and share uh, her experiences with us. Let's. Oh. <laughs> it's still morning, right? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Well, I've just had one cup of coffee, so I'm hopefully awake by now. <laughs> well, I'm really grateful to be here. I've uh, been here since yesterday. Um, I drove from Memphis, Tennessee with my husband and 11-month-old baby. Uh, they are somewhere in the hotel. I hope they're fine. <laughs> uh, I haven't got a call, so I believe they're fine. Uh, <laughs> um, just to be here to share what God has done in my life and how he has changed the story of my life is just an honor for me and a privilege to be able to just stand here. And... Um, I would take your mind maybe uh, back to that video that was shown today. Uh, the guy who was called Jimmy is someone I know very well, and we went through uh, the leadership development program together uh, the same year, so I can really identify with what they were sharing up there. And it just took me back to all those uh, <laughs> many years back. Don't try to guess how old I am. <laughs> I might tell you, maybe. <laughs> And um, just grateful to be standing here this morning. Um, with me today, I'm holding a child packet. Many of the things that you will see on the table there as you walk in or as you go out. Um, this guy is called Kendrick Samir. I hope I'm reading it right. And um, he was born May 18, 2013. Why do I share this packet today? Because many years ago, I was a face on one of these child packets. 
and somebody, um, a couple, a wonderful couple, Bob and Colleen Staggs from Ames, Iowa, decided that they were going to sponsor a child and they picked my packet. <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> and um, I grew up uh, in Western Kenya. As he mentioned, I grew up in Kenya and um, I grew up in a large family of, I would say initially 10 children. And uh, my parents um, did assistance farming, uh, which means they grew uh, crops in a small farm. So if we had crops, then we had food. If there was nothing that grew, then there was no food. And um, my parents were alcoholics. So um, they would disappear for several days. We wouldn't know where they were. And when they came back home, it was a lot of fighting and um, we would run and hide uh, because my father was very harsh when he was drunk and he would beat you for whatever, for no reason at all. So you'd hide until the alcohol has worn off, then you would come out of hiding. And um, growing up in such an environment uh, was really hard because uh, to add on to that, my parents never went to school, so they did not see the need to put any of us in school. And how is it that I am standing here today and speaking English, right? <laughs> it's by God's grace. And I like to share um, a verse that really speaks to my heart, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that is what God did for me through Compassion International. And just briefly, how I got into the program. Um, as all these things were going on in my family, it was really bad uh, to the point that uh, my uncle, uh, my mother's brother, uh, he lived in the city, Nairobi. So one day he came to our village uh, at home and he told my mom, that I'm going to help this family. And how was he going to do that? He was going to take one of her children he was going to live with them in the city and he was going to put them in school. The idea was hopefully one of, uh, one of these findings, that child will come back and change the situation in that family. And which child did he pick? <laughs> Me, because uh, names are very important. He, because I was named after his grandmother, after his mother, who is my grandmother? <laughs> yes, after his mother. So he said, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to go with her in the city. I'm going to put her in school. I hope that one day she will come back and change the situation in this family. So true to his word, we went to the city. He put me in school, but he could not keep me in school because he had children of his own too that he had to pay for. So I was in and out of school most of the time. I remember there's a time I spent home a whole semester because he could not afford to pay for me. And um, thank God for Compassion International because um, through all that, God still had a plan for my life. And um, one day the Compassion uh, social workers from the project came to the school and uh, the teachers forwarded to them the names of needy students. I happened to be one of those children. And they, after several uh, visits to the home and interviewing my uncle and my aunt, they decided to enroll me in the program. And uh, I was nine at that time. <laughs> and that is when my life began to change um, through the sponsorship 
of Bob and Colin Stags, I was able to stay in school. It's just not just a matter of going to school, but staying in school. I was able to stay in school. And as I mentioned that we were initially 10 children, we are now seven. Um, I lost two of my siblings. Uh, they fell sick and they could not go to hospital because my parents could not afford to take them. Uh, one of uh, the other one was my sister who died uh, when my mom was giving birth to her at home because she could not go to hospital and I never actually got to see her. So for me to be able to go to hospital when I was sick because of the sponsorship that I had was really something very important for me. And through their sponsorship also, I got to learn the word of God in the project. We would go there every Saturday, play with other children, learn the word of God, eat a meal there. For some children, that is the first time they are eating a meal in several days. And sometimes that was the best meal ever because back at home, there's no food. When there was no food at home, I would go to the project and ask for food and they would give it to me and I would take it home and we would have a meal. So being in the project was really, really important for me. And I'm grateful for the sponsorship of Bob and Colin Staggs because they wrote to me a lot. <laughs> the letters that I received from them for me really changed my life because that is when I had someone telling me positive things in my life, telling me, how much they believed in me, how much they were praying for me. And I did not even believe in myself, <laughs> but they believed in me and they were praying for me. And as they received the letters from me, they would say that we see how much you are improving. We can see how well you're doing because they get constant updates about me. And that really helped me because through the letters, I was able to know that there's a different kind of life, not just the life that I grew up in, not just the things I was used to. They helped me to see other things that I never thought important, like the weather. I mean, <laughs> I did not care about the weather. I would just wake up. But in the letters, they would ask me, how is the weather today? How is school? How is uh, your family doing? So this helped me even to open up and talk to them. I was a very shy girl. I would not be standing here looking at all these faces and <laughs> speaking. But they helped me a lot. And I'm really grateful for their sponsorship, which helped me a lot and opened many opportunities for me, as he mentioned, uh, some of them. And I'm grateful because... Uh, they sponsored me through the child sponsorship program, and when that was completed, they took on to the leadership development program, which was almost three times more than the $38 a month, and that saw me through my bachelor's degree. Um, I did a bachelor in physics at the University of Nairobi, and uh, then um, from there, I proceeded to go to Italy for two years uh, to study a postgraduate diploma in physics, and then that led me to the University of Memphis, <laughs> where I completed that in uh, 2015 and currently uh, working there as a researcher. And I'm grateful to God because he did not just use my sponsors to transform my life, but the fam my family too got transformed in the process. When my parents saw how compassion transformed my life, how my life was different, their lives were changed. They did not remain the same. They stopped drinking and they started going to church, something I never thought was possible before. And I'm grateful because uh, God has enabled my husband and I to be sponsors too with compassion, transforming the life of one young Wilson from Dominican Republic. And he actually shares a birthday with my husband. So <laughs> that was maybe a strategic choice. <laughs> 
and um, I did not share this in the morning, but my husband and I also, we've, uh, like, wh where I come from, I know of many other girls there who really want to go to school, but school is not a priority for their parents, so they take send them to go get married or do other things. But we say that with as a when I was a student, with whatever stipend I have, I'm going to identify at least one or two of those girls and help them through school, help them go through um, their education. And God has been gracious. We have uh, two who have finished high school now, and one actually is going to university now. One is an, in a teacher's college right now, and they are transforming their families back. And I'm grateful because this would not have been possible if God did not give me that opportunity to be sponsored by Bob and Colin Stagg. So I am just here to tell you that these children are real. I was a once a face here, and my sponsors told me that when they were looking for a child to sponsor, they were looking for two things. One, they were looking for a child who shared a birthday with their grandson, and then they were looking for a boy. So somehow, I look like a boy. Don't ask. <laughs> but God is faithful. They did not return my packet saying that we were looking for a girl. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and the future. That is what God has done for me. And I pray that God will help you to join in this journey. It's a journey of grace, as you said, to transform the lives of those children who are out there and help to release them from poverty in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.